0: when the invisible enemy struck our shores i took immediate action to eliminate regulatory barriers to telehealth making it easier for patients to consult with doctors from safety and convenience and really uh, they have great safety and great convenience right from their homes today i'm taking action to ensure telehealth is here to stay moments ago in the oval office i signed an executive order to make Many of our regulatory reforms, permanent, we've done some regulatory reforms that have had a tremendous impact on, on what we're doing, on medicine and medical and what we're doing. They can do things that you wouldn't believe.
1: Hello and welcome to HIMSScast. I'm Jonah Comstock. I'm joined today by a large panel of HIMSS media editors. We have Healthcare IT News Executive Editor Mike Milliard. We have uh, Healthcare Finance News Managing Editor Susan Morse. And we have Healthcare IT News Senior Editor Kat Jersic.
2: Hello.
1: Yesterday, President Trump signed an executive order uh, effectively making many of the changes, uh, the pro-telehealth regulatory changes that we've seen as a response to the COVID-19 epidemic permanent. Um, It was a little bit of a surprise, uh, and it was, I think for many people, at least on the surface, an answer to some prayers. So we're going to talk today on this podcast about that executive order what exactly it says what the repercussions are likely to be what some of the responses from around the industry have been and to start us off sue i know you wrote the story on this and also a follow-up uh tell us you know what happened and and some of the crucial salient details
0: uh sure well uh the president held the news conference about five last night He said he wants the order to allow Medicare to cover more than 135 services through telehealth. This is what's uh, being covered now through temporary flexibilities under the public health emergency. So it, it includes things, he said, like physical therapy, emergency department visits, home visits, mental health counseling, substance abuse, pediatrics and critical care, and and more he also talked about 2 million of additional funding excuse me 2 billion of additional funding being available and i think he meant this for rural providers cuz he talked a lot about the need for them to get the infrastructure needed to be able to do telehealth because of course providers have been investing heavily in this since uh, covid and even before then so this is what providers and insurers have been waiting to hear But now it's up to the Department of Health and Human Services and Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services to put this order into action. So CMS came out today with several piecemeal proposals um, through its physician fee schedule that it released last night. And it's a little confusing as far as what CMS is allowing or wants to allow, wants to see temporary. Uh, It's asking for a lot of feedback. And I believe that date to send in feedback is October fifth. But uh, one thing is, it would allow Medicare providers to conduct evaluation and management home visits for established patients virtually, uh, emergency room virtual visits to modern, to mo- to uh, monitor more the moderate health issues, um, and many others. Now, I think the notable exception as to what was being left out. What wasn't has been said is parity. Right now, providers get the same amount of money for a telehealth visit as for an in-person visit. This is what they want. And so far, nothing has been said about parity of payments. So um, I'm surprised there hasn't been reaction to this as yet. I haven't seen any, but I think this will become an issue in the future.
3: Yeah, I think as tends to be the case we've seen with executive orders from the white house, this white house in particular, I think the devil's going to be in the details and, you know, we we've seen, you know, he, 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 I don't want to get too political, but he he talks a big game and, and I think it's going to be interesting to see where this goes uh, going forward. We've already seen, obviously CMS is is putting together some policies um, pursuant to this, you know, actual policies, but um, you know, the, the executive order leaves out a lot, and it's notable that it, it does focus entirely, it, the focus is on rural hospitals. And, you know, we, we've seen how telehealth, especially in this crisis, is just as, as valuable in urban areas as, as it is in, in rural. So I don't know um, what the reasoning is perhaps for the focus on on rural, whether perhaps that is political in some way. I think that, that could be, but um, uh, there's there's a lot that it doesn't address for sure.
1: It is a surprise on the one hand, and yet on the other hand, I think those of us who have followed telehealth policy for a long time, it's not surprising because it, very often it seems like policymakers are a little bit behind the times in terms of, of thinking of telehealth as a tool primarily for rural communities rather than as we in the space tend to think of it as, as something that everyone can benefit from. But it is a little surprising that the current situation of COVID with everyone you know exploding their telehealth usage hasn't sort of changed that perspective a little bit. But I wonder if, you know, whoever wrote the executive order, you know, whoever helped to to draft it, um, if that isn't something of, um, uh, how how would you say it, just kind of an old habit to sort of think of it that way that it's hard to break.
2: It also struck me, correct me if I'm wrong, Sue, I didn't see anything in here about the originating site requirement or the geographic site requirement from CMS.
0: I saw nothing about that either.
2: And that kind of surprised me too, although it would go hand in hand with this rural lens because that's something that I've been seeing a lot of advocates and a lot of legislators honestly come out in favor of overturning along with the expansion of reimbursable telehealth services. So that really struck me as um, a somewhat strange omission.
1: So we seem to be listing a lot of things that the order doesn't do. What does it do?
0: <laughs> well, uh, the president was very broad. He just said, you know, make it so, and we're going to have these 135 services now covered per- permanently. And now it's up to the CMS and HHS to to uh, to do this. Um, some of it could still require congressional approval. Um, I mean, uh, and there are a number of. Um, uh, proposals out there for telehealth. It it will allow greater flexibility. Uh, it, that that's true. It, it's going to help with nursing facility visits furnished by telehealth. It's going to help home visits. It's um, uh, it, it still doesn't do audio only telephone visits. Um, it, for some of it, it's um, the CMS established that rule in March to allow audio-only telephone visits for uh, evaluation and management services. But um, we don't know whether uh, audio-only will be available for all telehealth.
1: Um, and it sounds like the, in those areas where the president was broad, uh, it will fall to you know, those those departments, those individual uh, yes. groups like CMS to. To make the decisions about what's going to happen here.
0: Yes.
3: Yeah, it's said over and over that you know within thirty days, uh, you know the secretary of this or that department has to file you know a plan a report with him, um, with the White House. Um, um, in addition to some of the payment stuff, also they they talk about um, investments in communication infrastructure, uh, and and he's leaving this to the Secretary of Agriculture for some reason. Um, but as we've seen, you know, repeatedly in, in on Healthcare IT News, there's lots of funding uh, coming from SEC for for broadband, um, you know, for, for rural connectivity. And, um, you know, Healthcare IT News Features Editor Bill Sawicki has been doing a great series, and, and Kat, you covered this too, about how um, hospitals are putting that SEC money to work. So, you know, I, I think
1: as long as there's any, any more money to, for, for communications infrastructure, is a good thing for Sure. I did want to talk about that um, proposed two billion dollars in funding because of course, we all learned in school that the executive branch does not have the power of the purse. so that sounds like something that would need to go through Congress or else you find that money stashed away somewhere where the executive branch already has you know, clearance to use it. And Do we have any sense of how realistic um, that really is as, in terms of something that's going to going to come to pass?
0: Uh, the president did not elaborate on that. He just said $2 billion in payments uh, going out to make this happen. Um, and the executive order is, is fairly broad, right? And as you said, the devil's in the details with this.
1: Let's move on to talk a little bit about how this order has been received by the industry. I know that this came out a little bit surprisingly yesterday. We're recording this on Tuesday, of course. Um, and that even in... You know, in the short time that's followed, a lot of groups have have come out with statements to to respond to it. Is it mostly positive? Uh, are, are people pointing out sort of these omissions and asking for more? What have we seen?
3: Well, the American Telemedicine Association literally just a few minutes ago put out a statement kind of basically saying what we've just been saying for the past 20 minutes. You know, there's more work that needs to be done. So this is uh, Ann Mon Johnson, who's CEO of the ATA. There's more work that needs to be done on both the federal and state levels to cement these gains and make permanent the waivers put in place in response to COVID-19. The stresses on our healthcare system were well-documented prior to the pandemic, including crippling provider shortages, escalating costs, and an aging population, and will only be exacerbated as our nation begins to recover from the health crisis. We have an unprecedented opportunity to modernize our healthcare system and appropriately leverage the technologies already available to deliver quality care, improve clinical outcomes, and increase patient and provider satisfaction. By integrating telehealth in our nation's healthcare delivery, so again, you know, kind of broad strokes there too as well. But I think they're they're waiting to see more more detail, just as we are. And perhaps it's worth coming back here in a month to see you know what happened with these thirty days that they mentioned in the in the EO.
1: um Definitely, I think an update uh, either here on the podcast or an article form will, will be in order. Um, well uh, what about other groups? I, I know there have been at least a a couple of other responses.
2: I just sat in on the uh, task force on telehealth policy, which the ATA is a part of, along with the National Committee for Quality Assurance and the Alliance for Connected Care. And it did strike me that they acknowledged the EO as sort of a a confirmation that telehealth wasn't going anywhere, but they, a lot of them um, noted it as sort of reinforcing the idea that expanding telehealth access is generally a bipartisan issue, which it is. I mean, apart from the pay parity issue, which I think is partially why it did not get acknowledged in that executive order, but they were more concerned with like hammering out the details in terms of, okay, we know this is probably going to stick around for the long haul, but what does patient safety and quality look like? What does measurement of costs look like? What are the actual nitty gritty details? And so I know there are lobbying groups focused on the legislative hurdles, of course, including some of the a t a arms but um folks on the ground seem to be also concentrating on what the actual day to day telehealth access looks like
3: and Let's not forget too that you know toward the broader you know this isn't related to the e o itself but toward the broader concept of making some of these um waivers permanent. there's pretty vociferous opposition from some groups we've heard of as well, um you know just this past week. We wrote about the American Medical Association and a ton of, I mean, I think basically every state medical association and others uh, called on CMS and they said they expressed their quote unquote dismay at the, at the uh, prospect of, of temporary waivers being made permanent specifically with regard to, um, to uh, scope of practice and, and licensure. Um, you know, they, these temporary waivers in extraordinary circumstances have empowered physicians and non-physician healthcare professionals to focus on their patients. But we urge CMS to sunset the waivers, include, involving scope of practice and licensure when this public health emergency concludes. Um, of course, when this pandemic concludes <laughs> is another
1: major question. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's there's clearly some opposition to, to this as well. So tell me more about that. I mean, what are their stated reasons for opposing it? And then if you care to speculate, you know, do you think there's other reasons uh, in, involving you know their vested interests?
3: I mean, I think their stated reasons are... That you know, physicians train for years and years and years, and they shouldn't you know necessarily be ceding um, their expertise to to um, folks lower on quote unquote on the of the food chain of of um, provider organizations. But I think um, they've got you know some um, some monopolies in place too, for lack of a better term, as well. Um, so and, and they want to kind of protect their hegemony there.
1: Which yeah, which is an, not an. Uh, unfamiliar theme in in, in the grand story of of telehealth policy and how it's evolved. Right.
0: I think, too, we have to look at the numbers. I'm hearing telehealth visits are falling now that people are going back for in-person care. Uh, I talked to somebody yesterday who told me that. Um, And CMS is a little bit on the fence, too, because in asking for stakeholder comments, they say, well, should we extend these flexibilities to the end of the calendar year of whenever the public health emergency ends, or should we do it permanently? It's, it, the agency is looking for a lot of feedback here. And what I'm hearing from, you know, the usual stakeholders that I, that I hear from is a lot more comment on the outpatient uh, payment rule that also came out. Um, this is the season for payment rules to be issued. And more cuts to three forty B and I'm getting a lot more reaction to that, which is I think telling that you know, um I haven't seen a lot of comment uh on the uh on the telehealth executive order. Other than what's been mentioned here.
1: It's new of course, which is you yeah. know, in it in in the grand scheme. And we really it came kind of without warning is my sense.
0: It did to me, I know that, yes
1: <laughs> now this is um on the one hand Trump has already been making news with some other executive orders around drug pricing. I know, and healthcare finance has written a little bit about those too um is there any i mean connection here other than the the fact that it's the same governmental apparatus being used to do it, or um does this fit into a strategy with trump is he trying to that we can see kind of win points here in the healthcare side by by taking these sort of making these sweeping orders
0: uh it's definitely a presidential year so (laughs) yes um uh you know if he's looking to win points i think he's picked something popular to do it with uh he uh, did touch on pharma yesterday, saying he's gotten all kinds of calls to please don't go through with this uh, drug orders that would basically be price-fixing, and he's supposed to be meeting with um, pharmaceutical companies. I don't know when. He didn't say, but he said he's heard he's heard from them. So um, who knows what will go forward and what won't uh, with this, but yes, it's definitely... Um, you know an executive order is a way to get your stance out there uh and and make broad statements he spent a lot of time yesterday talking about how covid is basically under control uh which of course a lot of people would disagree with him including dr fauci and deborah burks
1: certainly yeah and and um Trump Trump recently had that uh, Axios interview, which was maybe not the best press for him, although, <laughs> uh, especially on his handling of some of these these medical issues around COVID-19. He had lots of paper charts, that's for sure. <laughs> so is there anything we haven't talked about yet and any angles or, uh, on this news or, um, or things to watch for?
3: One thing I was just thinking about as we're talking about the political angle of this is and specifically with telehealth, I mean, I wonder how much, if any, impact it has with the average voter. I mean, I think public knowledge of and appreciation of telehealth has certainly increased markedly. You know, we've been writing about this stuff for years and years, but your, you know, your average patient perhaps, you know, has has never encountered telehealth until just recently. Um, So that's interesting,
1: but I'm not sure, you know, whether or not the CEO will have any, you know, any impact politically they may not have an awareness of the role the government plays in telehealth at all and I, I know that it's not uncommon in my experience when i talk to uh, shall we say civilians <laughs> the folks outside the space um for them to say oh yeah well why why would the government have anything to do with it why can't my doctor just talk to me however they want to and they, they don't realize that you know there's restrictions in place on reimbursement it's not all it's not obvious i would say to the average voter
0: um i think it it could be an appeal to senior citizens because a lot of the telehealth that he's talking about is for home visits and for people who, uh, you know, seniors that may want that flexibility to not have to go to their doctor for nursing facility visits. Um, so I think people would be, um, you know, aware of those.
1: Sure. Yeah, and that is a population that tends to vote in pretty large numbers although with a lot of voting moving to to vote by mail it, it'll be interesting to see it's also a population that has a, a harder time getting out of the polls so and is at more at risk for catching covid
2: and i think it's never uh, a politically unpopular move to say you're supporting rural populations as we talked about at the top of the episode you know being able to point to an executive order and say look what i've done um kind of adds to a general rhetoric even if patients aren't really aware of the day-to-day impact it might have if it has any impact on them on the day-to-day
1: true and we have seen time and time again that telehealth seems to be an area where um it's possible to get bipartisan consent and cooperation uh which are increasingly rare commodity these days um, but, yeah, even though there are stakeholders who certainly oppose, in, you know, particular things and have have kind of throttled the pace of, of this policy changing, generally saying that your fertile health is not going to upset anybody too much. Health IT in general, actually, which is good news for us in these polarized times. I mean, there's definitely a sense, I think, you know, that... This is, this is a moment of opportunity and of transformation. Anyone in the space you talk to will tell you that. And where, where we can press our advantage, as it were, uh, you know, to get these things into law and to make these, these diminished barriers that make health tech easier to use permanent, um, I'm, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of sentiment in the space behind it, seizing the moment and, and hoping that that can be something good that comes out of this you know, national crisis and tragedy
0: yes i think it's good we're seeing action on this and um it forces uh you know seema verma administrator for cms said she was you know she needed to wait for federal action before she could you know release anything and now they're releasing things so um at least there'll be debate and discussion and stakeholder comment and it will move the discussion forward
1: yeah, well, it will certainly be interesting to see how it progresses forward from here. You know, I think we'll keep an eye on it. We'll we'll look to see um, how much of this turns out to be you know, logistically and politically feasible, how much weight the executive order ends up being able to carry. Um, shall we wrap it up there? Any final thoughts? Well, thank you all so much for joining me.
0: Thank you, Jonah. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thanks,
1: Jonah. And as always, you can check out our uh, coverage on healthcare finance news and healthcare IT news, especially around uh, matters of public policy, around the telehealth boom. We've, of course, recently launched our Telehealth Connect newsletter, uh, which gives you a a weekly update on, uh, on all the goings on in this very exciting space. So stay tuned to that. As always, thank you all for listening.